Welcome to Wild Quincy, a podcast that looks into the little-known and forgotten past of Quincy, Illinois. 1980s Quincy was not the poster child of a crime-free community. Robberies, rapes, and even murder was rampant in the small town of less than 50,000 people. But one 80s crime stood out above the rest and had citizens of Quincy literally living in fear. This week, returning guest and former reporter Rodney Hart joins us to talk about The Mummy Man. That coming up next. Now, here's your host, Chris Ketters and Travis Hoffman. All right, Travis, before we even get this episode stopped, I just got to stop. Just, I'm going to stop everything, okay? The wheels are grinded to a halt. What's going on? Okay, so we were talking about hobos last episode. In the last episode, in our Patreon episode, you found a name generator for hobos. And I think for the rest of the episode, we're going to have to go by different names. Oh, you want yeah. you want to break out the hobo names? I do. I do. Is Let's the world ready for was. these hobo names? They're intense. <laughs> yeah. Do you, Do you want to give it to them? Do you want to tell them what it was? Okay. Are, am I giving them both? Yeah. Yeah, please do. Well... You're going to have to, everyone listening, you're going to have to start referring Chris to his hobo name, which is obviously Dakota Downtown Pete. <laughs> That's right. Dakota Downtown Pete. And for me, you just put the name Travis on the shelf and break down and dust off this beauty. Tennessee Good Times Mike. <laughs> That's Tennessee Good Times Mike. You play we your cards out, you find out what that good times means. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we were talking about how is this is this hobo names or stripper names? It's something, um, Chris. It's, it's something. definitely something. So if you missed out, check out our Patreon because uh, we had a good time talking about hobos. And of course, you can check out the last episode of our uh, time or place about those hobos. And uh, Travis, speaking of hobos and messages, we've gotten some some messages lately, haven't we? That's right. Yeah, we've had a few. Uh, Lori is a new listener from Texas who dropped us a note on our listener line saying thank you enjoying the show billy a listener for a long time now has been giving us some great show ideas and leads we appreciate that billy wendy and amanda have also been in touch with certain little tidbits and we appreciate that and we encourage everyone else to give us a holler or a text whichever you're more friendly with at 612-666-9453 that's 612-666-9453 so, oh come on, man! You appreciate the it. feedback. It's wild. It's wild. wild. It's literally nine four five three. Is literally wild. Wild. So. Yeah. Wild. So, yeah. Check that out. Uh, yeah. So again, give us a message. We've been getting a ton of text messages, and we love those. So give us a give us a shout out. Let us know what you think of the episodes. Uh, if you have anything to add to them, just or, uh, go or ahead drop and us throw an email out. at wildquincy at gmail dot com. Yeah. We're not picky, even on the uh, the old Facebookers, all that social stuff. We're out there. That's for right. Them. Yeah. Just whatever way you want to get a hold of us. Make sure that uh, we can hear from you. That'd be awesome. Uh, so I prefaced about the messages. I prefaced about Patreon. And speaking of Patreon, Travis, we have some new Patreon members. We do. And, and Chris, this is the second ever $20 level. That's the Ooh. hostess will seat you now. We're nice. talking high rollers here. Yeah. And uh, with that comes a little little glorious shout out, a little, little pimping of your business name. So, uh, you know, we want to thank Lions Pride. They are the premier DJ karaoke photo booth and officiating services provider for the Quincy area. You can find out more at QuincyDJ.com. Lions Pride, we appreciate your support and think they may be a good candidate for any upcoming nuptials. There we go. Yeah. So check that out. And uh, thanks to them so much. We had to look it up because uh, we don't have it happen too often. So we appreciate that. But it's the hostess will seat you. The hostess will seat you now level at yeah. the rare but powerful level. <laughs> yeah, so check that out. Uh, again, patreon.com. And uh, thanks to Lions Pride and those guys over there for uh, sponsoring and supporting our show. Yes. Travis, are we ready to dive into the question of the day? Uh, you, you've teased that it's going to be a good one. So I'm very much looking forward to it, Chris. What do you I'm got excited. for me? excited. This was a late 1230 at night question <laughs> of the, the day. Those are the best. Those are yeah. the best. So here we go. Uh, this one's a little bit different than our normal one. Okay. We have to broaden our horizons okay. just a bit. Okay? okay. Illinois is home to many supposed cryptozoological creatures. Oh. Out of the ones listed, which one is made up and doesn't have a history in Illinois? Oh, Chris. Oh, Chris. I know <laughs> My cryptids. This could be. I might surprise you. Go on though. Go on though. All right. So here's our options. We have the infield whore, the abominable infield or infield. Infield. We'll go infield. 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 Whatever. Potato. Potato. Uh, Abominable swamp slob. 
Slob or the, sloth? Slob, S-L-O-B. Okay. Okay. The Wolfman of Chestnut Mountain. Yes. Or the Hump-Shouldered Ape Man. Okay. That's our option. So again, the question is this. There's a lot of cryptozoological creatures in Illinois in the list that we give you. Which one is made up and doesn't belong in Illinois? It's a little trickier than I thought. You you got real specific. So, yeah. so we'll see. I, I got some thoughts. We'll, we'll revisit at the end of the show. Yeah, so we'll have that coming up at uh, the end. But uh, it is a crime episode, and uh, we're digging into one that uh, is surprising. And uh, you may have heard about it. You may have thought something different about what it actually was but we're going to dig into the details about the mummy man with special guest rodney hart coming up next here on wild here's what you missed on the latest after hours episode of wild quincy well in 1935 squirt squires Entertained the local. Is that a hobo club. name? That's right, a hobo with the proper name, <laughs> I guess. Enoch Squires, though his hobo name was Squirt Squires, Whoa. was the main speaker at Rotary Club on Tuesday, May twenty fourth, nineteen thirty five. He spoke of how he traveled eighty thousand miles on only twelve dollars, wandering into the North, South, and Central America on his travels. At only twenty five, Squires shared the tales of life in the hobo jungles and spoke of how hobo life was truly life's great wow that's cool our after hours episodes are available exclusively for patreon members by going to patreon.com slash wild quincy for just a couple dollars a month not only will you double the amount of wild quincy episodes at your fingertips but you'll also be supporting our efforts as we continue to dive into the wild and crazy history of our favorite town also as patreon member you can take part in our live events and patreon only outings as well as having access to our regular episodes two days before they are released to the public it's easy. Just head to patreon.com slash wildquincy. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash wildquincy and become a wild thing today. Travis, we're digging into season four of the crime aspect of Wild Quincy. And boy, I, this one I'm excited about because I this is this is completely foreign territory to me. I don't know anything about this story and I'm looking forward to it. So Travis, dig in because we not only have right. a great story, but we have a great guest as well. Rodney Hart, everyone. Um, thank you so much for joining us. We loved having you on season one. We had some fun. Unfortunately, the topic tonight is a little less fun, obviously, there's a lot of uh, things in Quincy's history. Not all history is great history. Not all history is good history. But you can't pick and choose what the history of where you live is. So we unfortunately need to dive into this story. Uh, you know, that's enough setup. Just if there's any, if you have a habit of listening with young kids, please, you know, stop and kind of take assessment of what you would want a child to listen to. This definitely has themes that you would not maybe want on younger ears. So with that caveat, Rodney, I'm going to turn the floor over to you. Thanks, first of all, for joining us. How are you? Tonight? Yeah. Thank you, Travis. Thank you, Chris. Uh, it's great to be back with you. You're right. This is a dark story. It's it's a story that has never fully been told, I don't think. There's been bits and pieces in, in the media. It's 40-plus years old. Uh, I'll start by saying there are still people around who were directly involved with this this story 40 plus years ago in Quincy. And I do not wish to bring up bad memories to anybody. I don't wish to rehash the past, but it's a it's a totally fascinating story. And I think it kind of needs to be told because I don't think people appreciate just how what a gripping time this was in the, in this city's history. It was a pretty horrific time and it involved some you you can't make up the stuff we're about to talk about. It's all true. Set the stage a little bit for us, Rodney. What, what time frame are we looking at here? We're looking at the early 1980s. Now, it's interesting cuz you didn't make it to the area until later. I think it was at the 90s you were you 96. Yeah. So how did you of all people get sucked yep. into this story sucked in is a good way to put it well <laughs> you know that um exactly 12 years ago cheryl and i started second string music the music right. store in Quint, which we closed Dealer. yeah and most people remember us as being at the corner of fifth and main the old dodd building which had quite a history too yeah but what a lot of people forget or or don't know is that we actually started 
at the corner of 8th and Washington. Hmm. 800 Washington. It's that that garish pink and green building just up from the Save-A-Lot, okay, of, of, from 8th and Jefferson. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I still have a guitar pick. I was actually reaching to see if I could find it with yeah. the old address on it, as a matter of I fact. I think I yeah. got one, too. Yeah. <laughs> I don't uh, know. So we, we were there for about a year and change. So as soon as we got in there, which was almost exactly 12 years ago, I get this message from a, from a Quincy Police Department, a senior officer named Terry Gibson. Terry says, congratulations, man. Way to, way to go. Way to start your new venture. He says, that building has a lot of history. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Well, a guy like Terry Gibson, who I liked and respected a lot, and real good guy, if he says that, Ooh, okay. That's a foreboding <laughs> statement, it sounds yeah. like. So I started doing some digging. And the story that was uncovered was uh, unbelievable. So I'm basing this, the following story on interviews that were conducted with four or five Quincy Police Department officers back in the day. It's based on people who knew both the victims and, and the person who they think did did it and it's based on uh, Quincy Police Department police reports I found the file I went back it was 30 almost 30 years old back then I went and found it and whoa it just just yeah it's pretty it's pretty thick Rodney you're no stranger to dealing in matters of crime you you did no. that for a long time for the, the Herald was, Wig, right I the crime and court reporters for 12 years at the Quincy Herald Wig. yeah until 2012. So this is 2011. Uh, I went down the rabbit hole in the bowels of the Quincy Police Department office at 8th and Main back then. And wow. Yeah. So that's where it starts. So so let's start by setting the scene. This is the early 1980s in Quincy. And in November of 1981, the first media reports uh, surface about a guy that the, the, the police department and the media has dubbed the mummy rapist. Mm-hmm. He's, he's got, this is a guy running around with gauze around his face, uh, attacking women. Okay. And in, in the, the November 23rd, 1981 story, I believe in the Herald wig is the first reference that I can find to it for it. And, and it basically details that this guy who's described as a medium build guy, and he's got, got gauze around his face is attacking Women. Two of them are actually St. Mary Hospital nurses. Oh, okay. Another one. So, so they were focusing their search for this guy uh, between 12th and 18th Streets and Broadway to college. That's and and the, one of the attacks took place around the 15th and College area. Yeah. This gauze you speak of was this purely as a cover for his identity? You think yes. just to mask yep. himself essentially? Yep. Yep. Okay. He just ran face up. Right. Just so they, they wouldn't. Now, now the one thing that is not reported in the media, Travis, but it is reported by the, in the police reports, is that this guy had reddish blonde whiskers sticking out of the gods. Interesting. Mm. Interesting. Okay, that's 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 not a known fact from from just reading the newspaper. That stories. helps tie some things together Correct. in my mind. Yeah, but go on. So they they also had another woman was attacked on a Cook's Lane. So it's getting a little random, but it's 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 concerning. Very concerning. Well, let's skip to March of 1982. The mummy rapist strikes again, and this time it's with a knife. And it does not result in a homicide, but it's not good. Hmm. And now, Travis, you saw some of the newspaper articles. In fact, you dug a couple of them up for me, too, which I appreciated. Sure. You can read in the undercurrent there. You can, you can clearly see that the Quincy Police Department Charles Gruber was a chief back then. They are, whoa, hang oh, uh-oh. Now this is getting bad. Now now the mummy rapist, you know, before it was just him. Now he's carrying a knife with him. Can we can we stop for just a second? Because I'm yeah. curious of a couple things here, right? I don't want to yeah. break your flow here. That's fine. Now the first uh the first attacks, were the the victims able to fight him off the first couple of attacks before yes. there was actually any any I, any rape? I believe occurred? Of the first, like, three, I think two of them managed to fight him off, but I think he actually did rape one of them. Okay, so a knife shows up now, a knife down shows the up. road. Yeah. 
So there, there seems to be something happening as far as an escalation goes, right? Yes, there's escalation here. So they, they call a criminal profiler who's been trained by the FBI. He comes to Quincy, he does a profile, and he tell. and again, this is not in the, in the media reports. This is in the police reports and from talking to the guys who worked there back in the day. He says to them, you got to catch this guy now because the next time he does this, it's keep progressing, right? Yeah. It's just going to keep progressing even worse. Somebody's yeah. going to die. Somebody's yeah. going to die. Yes, that's exactly what he told them. When you read the benign press reports, uh, they're, they're, you know, the chief is saying this, that, and there's some cryptic remarks about overtime. Remember that, Travis? They're, sure, they're, sure. He, this, thing blew his, this thing blew the Quincy Police Department's overtime budget huh. because they were working around the clock to find this guy. And they had a list of suspects, but they couldn't, you know, they couldn't track him down. He had, he was concealing his identity. Okay. Also in March of 1982, <laughs> in March of 1982, this guy who was living in the 800 block of Monroe. Now remember that. 800 block of Monroe. Okay. 800 block of Monroe. He comes home one night, early evening, and he finds a guy wearing gauze in his house. Oh, holy crap. Yeah, and they actually named the guy, the homeowner, in the story. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. So he he chases the mummy rapist, who that's what they think it is. He, he chases this guy out of his house through the back door into the alley, and he shoots at him with a shotgun. <laughs> holy, holy cow. He misses. How do they know? Because the next day they go back, and they find a bullet hole in one of the garages in the alley. Jeez. <laughs> I don't think we wow. should, but, you know, be, we could go poking around down Poke, that alley. Poking around looking for a bullet hole, huh? <laughs> no. You know, back in the day when we were at 8th in, in Washington, I can, you know, maybe if there was a happy hour or something, we could, yeah, never. All right. So I just it, like to re, I'd like to reiterate that while Quincy discourages trespassing of any kind, <laughs> seems like an appropriate <laughs> time. Yeah, that's go true. On though, Rodney. Of course, you're walking down the alley, you're not trespassing. But yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. He flees north, which means he's running through some yards on Madison, which is the next street over, but he gets away. Okay, so then it's quiet again. And then comes the long, hot summer of 1982. And they are still, you can tell, the Quincy Police Department's on edge because it's died down. Okay, this is where, again, um, listener and viewer discretion is advised here. Okay. August... 24th, I believe, was a Wednesday in 1982. There's a woman living in an apartment at 800 South 8th Street above what is known as the Kelty Sewing Center. That's where the music store was. Okay, that's what's on the bottom, the main the main part of the building there. It's it was also a, Peggy's yeah. Costumes, correct, for a while? It was later it was Peggy's yeah, Costumes. Okay. Yeah, Just gives the people right. some context, yeah. yeah. But it was owned at that time by a guy named Kelty who who um, had a sewing machine business in there and he's i think he owns the building and he has the the apartment upstairs in the apartment is living is this woman living there and with her is living her her daughter who's like 18 or 19 and her daughter has just had a baby boy who's a couple of months old so it's the three of them living in this apartment up there and you know i've been up there a few times when we had business there. Very nice apartment. So that night, there's a friend of the young mom. We're just going to call her the young mom because she's still around and I, you know, and she still lives in Quincy here. So I don't, I'm just going right. to cook right. the young mom. And she, she has a friend and we're, and we're not going to use this friend's real name. Okay, I mean, it was widely reported back in the day, but that's not the, you know, that's, that's, I don't want to bring stuff up that shouldn't. Sure. I just don't want to do it. And there are other reasons right. for it, which we probably won't go into. But we're going to call this person, this other friend of hers, Terry. Okay. That's not her real name. Okay. That's, who we're, that's what we're going to do. We're going to call her Terry. And she is very good friends with the young mom and stays over at that apartment a lot. Okay. They have both recently, I think they had both recently just graduated from Quincy High School. They both worked at the Kentucky Fried Chicken, which was then at the corner of 12th and Harrison, which is now the Dairy Queen. Right. 
South Park there, right? Mm-hmm. So they worked there for a long time. And, and Terry has actually, on that day, just started classes at what was called Quincy College. She started going to school. So they go out that night to a to a bar, and this stuff is not reported in the, in the not it wasn't a bar. It was a was like a well, it was like a tavern slash place, but you could go there to get food and eat, like right. like a Mister Bell's type place, right? Yeah, Mister, sure, absolutely. Yeah, right. So this is up on Eighth and Adams, and it was called the Bullshed, and it's not <laughs> there anymore. Not there anymore. Good name. But, yeah, but they go up there and they have pizza and they hang out and then they walk back to their, you know, just back the other way. And late that night, Terry goes to the what was called the Food King at Eighth and Jefferson. That I don't think that building is there anymore, but that's where the Save a Lot is, right? Right. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the last time anybody sees her before all these events take place is she's walking down that alley after getting cigarettes at the at the Food King. It's four o'clock in the morning now, early Thursday morning, and I think it's the, I think it's August twenty fifth. I think something like. It's and, like the twenty fifth, twenty sixth, I believe, with the the late or, night, early morning. Yeah, that could, thank you. Yeah, so so Thursday would have been August twenty sixth. So it's four o'clock in the morning. It's the young mom, her friend Terry, uh, the young mom's mother, who's renting the apartment, works overnight. She's not there, and they have another two year old with them that they're watching that night. That's staying with. Them. So it's there, there's four of them up there. It's like four in the morning. The young mom wakes up. There's a guy standing over. Oh, geez. With a knife. He does not have gauze on his face. Okay. He says to the young mom, hey, I'm looking for Mr. Kelty. I just got in from Chicago. And this stuff was never reported either. I'm just got in from Chicago and I'm looking for Mr. Kelty. I got to talk to Mr. Kelty. The, the gal, the young mom says, what are you doing? And, um, you know, it's pretty... <laughs> They, they quoted her word for word in some of the police reports, but she basically told them to get the, you know, what out. Right. And she, this person, whoever it is, looks at her and says, where's the other girl? Oh, no. He knows that the other girl, Terry, is up there staying. Now, I think, and I'm, there's going to be some other stuff here I'll uh, talk about shortly. I think that they were being stalked, unknowing. Hmm. I think that this whoever this was standing over them, and we have a pretty good idea who it is, I think he knew exactly. I think he was stalking those two girls. Hmm. So he proceeds to get the knife out, and he attacks the young mom. Then he moves over to where Terry is sleeping in an in adjoining area, attacks her. Then he comes back to the young mom. The young mom somehow manages to fend him off and i think she actually breaks a chair over him to get him hmm. and he leaves okay so the two of them are are badly they're they're i won't go into detail but they're badly hurt okay the victim of this knife attack one of them crawls the length of the apartment calls 911 i talked to uh, a paramedic who was one of the first people to respond to the scene it was not pretty it was it was really it was not good so the two girls are alive at the time and nothing by the way ever happens to the infant who was sleeping there or the two-year-old nothing ever That's you know, they yeah mm-hmm. through it. so they get the two gals out of there and they get in the saint mary's hospital and they get some statements but within about an hour terry dies from blood loss that now, well, now we got issues because here's another violent knife attack, but it's really strange that this guy is not wearing gauze. Mm-hmm. So these QPD detectives are, they, they don't know what's going on here. And they get a great description of him. He's got longer red kind of blonde hair. Remember that? And he's got a mustache. Mm-hmm. Okay. They start looking for him and his name is actually on a list that they were they were kind of looking for they had about six suspects roughly right yeah he was one of them correct he was one of them so a couple of things happened between the morning of the attack and the saturday night when they eventually find this guy we'll talk about that in a minute but on a saturday night a quincy police department officer and his name uh, is jim fitch 
he used to, he was a veteran, he was a patrol officer back then, and he owned the Subway restaurants in Quincy for a long time. I don't know oh, if you sure, remember him. Yeah. He lives in Florida now. I remember the was, name, yeah. Yeah, he was on duty, and he got a phone call from this woman who says, hey, my, my boyfriend is missing. I can't find him. I don't know where he's at, and his apartment is all locked up. Can you help me? Well, they, you know, he gets with her, and they go to where he lives. He lives in the 800 block of Cherry. Uh, the, the the house is still there. It's all divided up into apartments. He lives upstairs. So he goes up, the, the Jim goes upstairs with this gal. They can't get in. It's locked up. And I, I, I can't remember exactly what he told me, but I, he sees something that kind of tips him off that, uh-oh, something's going on here. He, he somehow manages to gain entry. And he finds a man named Steve Huber, deceased lying on a bed with a hole in the side of his head and a pistol lying right next to him hmm. and that is the actual name just to, to that you know, is name. let everyone that know yeah name this was widely reported at the time and i don't think there's a, we got to say it you know yeah and i know family and there's people still connected to this day that are around and i, I do not mean any disrespect that, or i don't want to bring up anything but that's that's the fact so they find them and this wasn't clearly explained, but I think the Quincy Police Department in, in, instantly he matches the description of the guy who's committed the stabbings, and they find other items in the apartment that link him to possibly being the mummy hmm. rapist. Do we have any insight on what that was, Rodney? It, it, was it ever clear to you? No. Okay. It could have been. They could have found some gauze. They could have. They definitely found items linking him to the to the stabbings. They found bloody right. clothes, and his van, his vehicle had blood in it. And I, I don't remember from reading the reports exactly what they found, but they have an idea that this guy. Well, okay, but they have a they have an issue here. This guy was reported to have had a mustache, right? Sure. Well, Steve Huber doesn't have a mustache. Hmm. It appears he's clean shaven. So this particular fact here actually came out during the coroner's inquest and was reported in the media. You, you know what they did to ID him? They took him to the morgue. They cut off a lock of hair from the back of his head. They pasted it up over his lip. They took a picture. They put his glasses on. They put it in a photo lineup. They brought it to the hospital where the young mom was recovering. And she said, that's the guy. Hmm. How much, uh, Rodney, how much of a distance was between when the attack took place with the women and when he was found dead? I'll clarify, that's a good point, Chris. The, the attack took place on a very early on a Thursday morning. He was found at approximately 10 p.m. on Saturday, a few days so, later. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So enough time to enough time to shave the beard or shave the mustache yeah, off, yeah. right? Yeah, it was just a mustache, I think. Um, so... So he's been positively identified. So then the media gets gets a hold of this, and then there and then there's a press conference. And at, at that time, they're downplaying the mummy rapist angle. The phrase almost completely leaves the headlines and in yeah. the body copy for that much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but 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 the police don't want to draw that conclusion. I don't think they wanted to draw the conclusion, Travis, because I think they were afraid of the copycat thing. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, and so it comes out during the coroner's inquest that this guy, Steve Huber, who is well known to law enforcement, very well known, on that Friday he had, or I think it was that Friday he went to a place called Cross River, which was an addiction specialist facility on Sixth and Broadway. I, I don't think it's there anymore. And he talked to a counselor. And he said, you know, I think I, I was the one who attacked these two two women in a blackout. Wow. Blackout drunk. Yes. Now, I don't know why that – I don't know if the police ever heard that, like, right away if or if there were confidentiality. I don't know. I, I don't know. But that came out after the – you know, after everything happened. And then, also during the coroner's inquest, uh, one of the detectives that testified – if you read the story with a guy named Larry Carley, who's a legendary figure in at the, from the Quincy police department, his nickname was Columbo. Okay. So that's like, <laughs> wow. and they, they named 
and they still have the detective of the year award. They named it after him. Oh, so wow. this guy, you know, this guy had been around for a long time and he was pretty sharp. He, a lot of the testimony from coroner's inquest came from him. And he said that the girlfriend of Steve humor, Steve Huber said that they, a few days before the attack, they're driving down past the apartment where it took place. And he started acting very strangely. Hmm. What does that tell you? Yeah. Yeah. That's, well, that he knew who was up, up there and he was, yeah. And then. Can I ask one question just for my own yeah. clarification, Ronnie? Yeah. When they were driving past the place, is this after after the, the, the attack no. had happened or before? No. It's a few days before the attacks happened. Huh. Okay. They're driving. They're driving. She lived on at 8th and Oak. Okay. So in a building that's not there anymore. So so my only, I, I surmise that they were on the south end of town, wherever. Maybe they were hanging out at South Park or something. Or I don't know what they were doing. Sure, going to who knows? Food. Yeah. But they were driving up the street to go back home, and they drive past the apartment, and this Huber guy goes, starts acting. I don't know what very strangely means, but you yeah. can, you know, he knew who was up there, and he knew that he, he yeah. Hmm. So. And then it comes out about a year later, um, the young gal that passed away, her mother sues the owners of the forum. You remember what the forum was? Sure, down uh, down where O'Griff's kind of used yeah. to be, the Winner's West Wing. And, yeah, it's Winner's West What's it called now? Yeah, it's yeah, got it's a new got, name, I believe. Yeah. It's got the Corinthian, I think. Yeah, right? I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the and they are and it's the McLeans who own it at the time. Sure. And they and she also sues the owners of a bar called the Fortique, which was a popular spot on Front Street, I believe, and that's no longer there. What were she, the grounds for suing these places? Yeah. They overserved her son the night well, of, the night that that the, the incident happened. Okay, uh, well, I guess I'm kind of confused. What did the son have to do? Where's the son come into play here? That's Steve Huber. Are you talking about the son of the son of of, of the Huber? No, 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 no. Okay, the mother. Of the victim, the one who passed away, sues uh-huh. the bar because she accused them of over-serving Steve Huber the night that the attack. Oh my gosh! So she's suing somebody because of them of over-serving a guy who killed the yeah. killed her. Oh my gosh! Framing wow. framing it like they were an accessor an accessory yeah. to the crime in a way, right. kind of being an, wow. a catalyst, perhaps. I know. Huh. There's nothing ever further about that. I don't. I mean, that was from a story that you dug up, Travis. So right. I don't. No, it, I don't know if it ever got settled. I don't know. I feel like that would be hard yeah. to, to yeah. follow through on a. That, that really uh, doesn't. That's that's a. I don't even think that. Yeah. That the fact is, he was intoxicated when the attacks took place, and he told an addiction counselor that he, you know, he, you know, he thought it was during a blackout, but that he stabbed two women. And if memory serves, I, I don't want to uh, paint pictures that aren't true here, but. I, be- I believe whenever that came out, uh, Steve had already killed, or the, he mm. already, his body had already been discovered, so it wasn't like someone was holding out information no. that was pertinent. Yeah, it happened no, after the, the fact, yeah. The, it came out during the coroner's inquest. You guys know what a coroner's inquest is? It's when the coroner oh, yeah. public hearing to uh, d- for a death investigation and brings witnesses in, and there's a jury there, and the jury rules on the causes of death. And they give information about, you know, the case. So it's kind of to see if it needs to go anywhere yeah, or if there's exactly, more done right. done. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So, so they did the, they did the, the coroner did the inquest for both the victim of the stabbing and the person who they think did it at the same time. That should tell you something too. Oh, right. right. Uh, so then the question becomes, Was this guy the mummy rapist? Yeah. Well, he wasn't wearing gauze. Right. You know, in, in the previous attacks, but he matched the general description, the height, whatever. And remember that, and some of the victims reported, I think, the reddish. Red blood. whiskers. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. But I will tell you this. The, the guys who were working the case back then from the Quincy Police Department, including a guy I just ran into by happenstance uh, just a few days ago, and was actually a, um, a crime scene technician, 
those guys, this is not my opinion, those guys say there's no doubt that he was the one. Hmm. So you can, you know, you can make up your own termination. And ultimately, what what what's another compelling piece of evidence is that the attacks stopped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I guess I'm going to step in here. I mean, I guess the one thing that's kind of bothered me hearing this for the first time, I mean, I've always heard of the mummy man and stuff. And and first I'm going to start with that. It's, it's really weird looking at it from an outsider's perspective where you've never heard the story because when you hear mummy man, you think of something that's funny, like something that like, like that's not really a good name for somebody that's doing what this, this guy was doing. Um, But on the other hand, that beside the point though, are we looking at the only true piece of evidence that connects the mummy man to this guy is just because of those little red whiskers? Is that the only piece of true evidence that we have that connects those two? That's the hard question. Cause I don't, I think that there was other evidence found, but I don't know what that is. Okay. So that's hard. Yeah. It's hard. Okay. That, that Chris is kind of the, the, the penultimate thing that, I could totally foresee him being being the mummy man rapist. I, I I think a lot of the indications and a lot of what was found does point in that direction and and completes that storyline. The problem I have is that unless until I know what the evidence was right. that connected Huber with yeah. being the mummy man rapist, and here's the trouble: medical gauze. Who doesn't have medical gauze in their closet somewhere? Right. Right. Unless well, it was a gym bag full of medical gauze or a mass amount or right. – I mean, that's troubling in my mind. Which Who's to say what ever saw the light of day and what didn't? There's only right. so much that gets released. Well, There, was, there right. were six suspects. What happened yeah. to the other five is my question. Yeah. The other five were cleared. Um, okay. They, they were interviewed extensively. And, and in fact, one of them was picked up right after it happened, if you remember, and, and had an alibi and it checked yeah. out. Right. Hmm. And I guess where I was going with that is more of like, and I guess are we, I guess we can say that him being overly drunk would would change the the mo. But but how do we go from first of all saying that he was wearing these gauze and and keeping himself covered to all of a sudden now he's just wide exposed? And then secondly, what's the story about him saying where this guy's at over this girl when he's when he wakes her up in the middle of the night? What the heck is that story? Hey, that, Chris, thank you. That's a great point. Here's the deal. Uh, Steve Huber knew this Kelty guy. They knew each other because Steve Huber was using a garage that was owned by Kelty because Steve Huber was a self-employed mechanic. Hmm. And Kelty uh, kicked him out of that garage. Wouldn't let him use it anymore. That is Hmm. kind of the connection there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, that makes sense a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, it's, but I, I don't think, I think you got a, a lot. I mean, obviously you have a ton of proof, especially when you're using the, that he goes to some other place and tells people that he literally did something. I mean, that, that pretty much yeah. puts a nail in the, in the coffin there, but there's you know, no, like, yeah, there's no question that he was the one who attacked the young mother. Right. I don't think know. there is. No, no. I don't, yeah. I don't think there is. No, it, but I, could you see it as like a, like a, this guy, all this, maybe let's just, Throw this out as a scenario, okay? Let's just say that there was a different guy that was doing this, and it wasn't to the point where he was doing stuff that was like, um, you know, getting really bad, and maybe he caught himself. But then what happened was is that this incident happened, and then all of a sudden, this guy that didn't do killed the girl was like, okay, this is my out. I can stop now. I can get out of this. You know, like you know, and nobody will ever know it's me. I mean, is I mean, is that just crazy to think, or is that a possibility? Not if you look at the profile that was developed by this guy. Okay. Uh, profile that he was going to progressively get worse. Yeah. I don't, it just, it would be the way it was described to me by one, one guy who was a detective back then it was, it was, yeah, it just started progressing and progressing and and he couldn't stop now that that doesn't mean, but, but here's the thing. If it was somebody else, why did the attack stop? Why were there no more reports of a, of a mummy rapist? Come on, yeah. even in 1982, if it had happened again, oh, come on, the, the meat, they would have been all over it and it would have gotten out. 
I did yeah. spend a considerable amount of time uh, searching newspapers.com for reports of, of rapings that were similar to this mm-hmm. after the fact. It doesn't mean it didn't happen places, but I, I didn't find anything that matched this exact scenario. So but- it does seem like... Obviously, local activity that didn't happen again. That you know, that's pretty convincing evidence. To Chris's point, who who knows if somebody's looking for an out? It doesn't seem like it fits the the profile of someone who's right. really. This has become like a bloodlust in a certain sense. The que- the two the two things that that leave me with questions is in in no other reports that I saw, and I didn't see. I didn't read. Don't know as much as you do, Rodney, or and I certainly mm-hmm. didn't see a lot of the, the the stuff that you've seen, but. Why did he have this whole diatribe about this Kelty guy? What the fact that he's asking about this? He has a, he has a past with this guy. Yeah, maybe he, he's because he was angry about being booted out of the garage. I believe it, it's just but, that combined without wearing the gauze, which you know you could are the very same step. Say this guy's blackout drunk by his own admission several days later. Right? Maybe he just forgot to put on the gauze at but, that point. It, mm-hmm. Steve Huber also was. Known, uh, remember, he went to this addiction specialist place. Alcohol mm-hmm. was not the only thing that apparently he struggled with. Okay, a lot of vices, it sounds like. So, yeah. and that was actually that was told to me by a, a guy who was a friend of his mm-hmm. um, okay. back in the day. Let me tell you another little interesting tidbit about this story, which <laughs> I this this was told to me by a, by a woman who at that time was in her. I think late teens, early twenties. She told me that she lived with with some girls in Quincy back then, and they were, you know, they were young. They liked to go out and have a good time. And one night they came home and they they found this strange marking on their door. Interesting. And, yeah, and they're like, "What? What is that?" And and they got a little concerned because this was during the time of the mummy rapist, and I think there was a considerable amount of fear and trepidation in this community about this case. If you're a young woman and living in Quincy, Illinois in the early 1980s, of course, you know about it. And of course, sheer terror was running rampant. I think Mm -hmm. that is kind of the point. I I don't think that has really been told enough. Anyway, they came home and they saw this strange thing and they're kind of wondering about it. Eventually, this is a story she told me. Okay. Eventually, a police officer shows up. He looks at the door, and he looks at the at the gals living in the house or apartment or whatever it was, and he says, "You need to move now." Mm. What? He says, mm. "You need to move." Hmm. Well, why? And he says, "Well, we think that your door has been marked." Hmm. Boy, what you see that in today's world too? I mean, you hear about that. Happening. You do. You do. Yeah. I'm not saying that was the mummy rapist. Yeah. But the Suspicious. early 1980s, and this is exactly the same time when he was active, I don't know if there was any other, anything else that was done, you know, by whoever the mummy rapist was to, to mark anything. I don't know if the door at Ethan Washington, which sadly, tragically, was unlocked. That fake mm, right. I don't know if there was a mark on it or not. I don't know. Don't know. But that that's what was going on in Quincy, Illinois, this little <laughs> river town in the early 1980s. Hard to believe, isn't it? Absolutely. Right. So, Rodney, let me ask you this question, because you obviously spent many years doing the crime side of things for newspapers. When you come up to a story where where you have an incident like this and you have a situation where uh, you are uh, putting a name of like the mummy man in, in, in a story like this, where it creates more attention and maybe you get a little bit more of a worry that you have somebody that's going to copycat down the road. Do you ever think about those things as a reporter or are you just there to tell the story? Um, I do think about those things as a reporter. I'm a human being too. Right. And, and, uh, do you ever hold back on stuff just because of what you might be worried about what could happen if absolutely. you release that information? I, that happened on more than a few occasions. Okay. It, what I learned covering crime and courts is, is to never torpedo what the ultimate story was going to be. You're tempted to do that because you want to get it out. You, you know, you're right. Your editor is like, Hey man, we need the story. And I'm like, well, you know, I learned this and I learned this and it's going to come out, man, but I, we need to be a little careful here because there's right. still, that happened a lot actually. And one of the reasons why I think 
I was okay at you know doing the job for 12 years is because they you know the guys they trusted me they didn't have to worry about it. they could say hey this is going right so yes now th- 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 there's another part of that Chris and this is where I got to be really really careful okay? okay when I saw this story I started digging it up and talking to all these people about it and we're in the building where the the event happens. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm a, at that time I'm working for the wig and I'm all fired up and I'm like, Holy man. Yeah. What a story. Why has right. the story never been told? This, this is incredible. Well, let's just say that after a lot of digging around and a lot of talking to people, including to some folks who were close to the Huber family, I made attempts, by the way, to get a hold of of um, the the victim, the stabbing victims, the one who passed away. I, I made attempts to get a hold of their family. I made attempts to get a hold of the other uh, woman who was involved, the, the young mom. Uh, I made attempts to get a hold of um, you know those those folks. But let's just say that after a lot of thought. 12 years ago, I decided that maybe it was best that we just not go down that road. Mm-hmm. I wish I could tell you more, but I just have to be a little careful about, sure. Yeah. About, but in, in, in one of the main reasons was out of respect for them. And cause it was still, it was like that, at that point it was like 30 years ago. It, now it's 40 years ago. It's still fresh though. In the timeline yeah. of Quincy, you it know, you, you spend enough time on Facebook. There's all kinds of threads on, you know, community-based groups and whatnot that people still have the terror of, of living in that world of not knowing if you or your daughter was going to be next. Well, and it, no one knew what to think. It was the, it was eighties, but it, to some here, some of these people re- give their accounts. It still feels like a very fresh, fresh wound. Yeah. It, it was, it was frightening. And it, and it, you know, it happened in little old Quincy, Illinois. And, yeah. um, and there's still, an immense amount of speculation about who it actually was, you know, and, and was the guy that they found eventually, was he the guy? I have a question, Ronnie, and I don't know if you know the answer to this. As far as the case of the mummy man itself, not the suicide of Steve Huber, was that case ever closed? And what was the resolution on it? I don't think so. Huh. I don't think it ever was. That's, that's why we're talking about this. Yeah. I don't, I don't, it, not publicly now. It was never publicly closed. Remember, remember how they downplayed the when they when they found yeah. they found the guy. Remember how they downplayed it in the paper. Well, oh, you didn't you didn't hear right. Mummy Man anymore. It went away. Yeah, but even at that time, they were like downplaying it. I think because they were afraid of the copycat, and because they were afraid that well, maybe this is, or but there's a chance that he isn't. But again, Travis, the the one, two, three. Four, five, five guys that I talked to that worked for the Quincy Police Department, four or five, told me without blinking an eye, he was the mummy rape. Hmm. That says that says a lot. That does. Now that's not me saying it. That's what. Okay. And now, if it's an open case, still, I'm going to throw this out there because if if we if we think it is okay, okay, if we think it is okay. Could it be possible it could be brought back up? I wonder, these are the situations where you wonder, is there evidence still remaining? And secondly, had they DNA tested it? Because yeah. I bet you D- that's not a thing 40 years ago. It was no. on the verge, wasn't it? It was. I think 1986 was the first time right. that was yeah, used. Yeah, but I mean, Quincy using it still, you're looking. They referenced to things being sent to, to Washington. Rodney, do you remember hmm. what that could have been? To, to Springfield. They, they sent stuff okay. to the state Thank crime you. lab. I think they were checking blood types. Okay. And, and other things, but they had no way of, yeah, I mean, they knew what the blood type was of the victims, obviously, but they had no way. Right. Here's something to think about. I don't think this case, I don't think this guy could have been running around today doing this. Right. I agree. He would have been caught because yeah. of, of social media and, and DNA and everything. And ring and cameras. People have, everyone has a ring camera. Yeah. Practically yeah. These yes. Days. Yeah. So I don't think it would have, but, but of course, ring camera wouldn't do you any good if it was, your face was wrapped up. That's yeah. true, but it could help focus on the search and definitely, yeah, yeah and, I and, think and, yeah, there's lots of tools now that we didn't there have is. There is. So that's a great question. I wonder if, if anything was kept 
Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I do know that the file that they had that I went through, which included photos and it had none of the physical evidence. They, I believe Chris and Travis, I believe they removed a, an entire door from that apartment and took it as physical. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It was either the entire door or part of a wall or something. It was like a big piece of the apartment. They took it as, as so, and also when they found him, when they found Huber, he had a, uh, a cut on his hand. Right. I remember hearing that. Yeah. Hmm. So he had been hmm. during the attack and, you know, and he was struggling, you know, they were trying to fight him off. And I don't know if there, I, I seriously doubt there's any, anything left. Because, you never know. Yeah. You, you never ne- know. Yeah. I actually, I did ask about that. I said, well, where is all this stuff now? I mean, where's the blood evidence where whatever. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't get anywhere with that. Huh. I don't know if it's still there. I don't know. I mean, and it, and it, yeah. I mean, is, gosh, I never really thought about that. Yeah. Is the mummy rapist still a guy that's, I don't think so. I don't. Yeah. Let's, I re- let's take a second here just to, to, I know we've kind of got on the, the hypothetical train here to what it could have, should have, but, uh, you know, it sounds like, the officers of Quincy were, were working beyond overtime to, to make connections here. Let's not negate any work that they've done. Let's not negate the impact this had on multiple families in that time period. And, and those type of memories echo. They don't just go away for the survivors, for the victims of those who didn't survive. It's a dark story in Quincy's past. There's There's... You know, no glamour here, but it is part of our history. And you can sit here and cherry pick all the fun, silly stories. But to really honestly cover a place of a history, you have to dive into all the different uh, aspects of that. And this is definitely one of the darker ones. And the fact is, all the, you know, the places and stuff are still there. And yeah. and a lot of the people are still around. And it is it, it is not a, it's not a, not a fun story. It's not a, it's a dark, it's a really dark time. But I don't think people who were around back then have, I think have more or less forgotten about just how dark it was and how terrifying it was to, to know that this was going on. And Quincy was in 1981, 82, very different place, right? First of all, there was no Bayview bridge. There was the right. Memorial bridge going across. There was no four lane highway leading in or out of town. If you think that Quincy is a, you know, we kind of live in a cocoon here somewhat mm-hmm. to, to a degree. You know what I'm talking about? That's yeah, not, a, yeah, yeah. not a negative statement. That's actually a, a, a good thing. I think that's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why I love living here, but it, it was a very, very isolated place. Right. So until then, those things just didn't happen in Quincy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it didn't. And then, and then also this story probably should have garnered more national attention than it did but it didn't because it happened in little old quincy illinois uh, i guess part of it and so. i want to make the point about you know 1980s quincy in general i mean i mean aren't we even in that kind of sort of close wheelhouse to swango coming into town too yes. at this time the I mean, same reporter he, at the time covered both stories and he's yeah. still around so it's just it's just amazing yeah. that you had these weird instances of extreme stuff happening. I mean, yeah, every every town unfortunately has these issues where you have these people that are doing these dumb things, but it's really bad things, I should say. But yeah. you know, to have situations like this happen where you have a fear, and then also you have a guy that ends up becoming you know a, a murderer, right. it's just crazy. Well, it is, and I think Quincy too in the fifties and sixties and seventies. If you talk to the the men and the women who served in law enforcement from back at that time, which I did a lot of back when I was a crime and courts reporter, it was a, it was a little rougher place. Mm. Uh, and, and you know, the, the veterans like, like Rob Copley. Okay. Our former chief who, who is a, is a good friend of mine. He, he would tell me stories about how they'd go when he was a young patrol officer, he'd go into the bars to break up fights and they're deep, be these huge melees and you know everybody would be swinging around and they get into this big brawl and and you know they they drag the guy out they get him into the cell and he'd look at him and he'd go hey man sorry about that that was a good that was a good one right there you know <laughs> so so times were were i think we are certainly not immune yeah. to having 
violent crime here. It's an ebbs and flows kind of thing. It, it goes up and down and up and down. I mean, I mean, we talked about uh, season one, the McCluskey uh, fire and yep. the McCluskey murder. I mean, that was you, I came across a newspaper story when I was doing research on that that said like the crime rate was at the highest it's been in twenty years at right. that point in time. So I mean, it seems like Quincy goes through these ups and downs, and it, it I does. mean, I'm sure the same thing happens for most communities in the United States. Really, it does. In 2002, we had like five homicides in four months. Right. And, Oof, and, yeah. and you know, it was just it, it wasn't because Quincy is is going to hell and it's such a horrible place. No, it was an ebb and flow, like you said. Right. Mm-hmm. From right. from your recollection of all the stories you hear before you even got to Quincy and and since you've been here, was there any other story that arose so much sheer terror out of the citizens of Quincy as this? Wow. <laughs> you gotta make you think on this one. <laughs> yeah. Um the one I I'll tell you, let me let me step in. The one that scares me that the most and it's a little bit more recent has to do with the, the gentleman that was at Quincy University that went up and murdered his family up in Iowa. Oh you know, that story's a little bit more recent. Oh oh yeah. Yeah, that yeah, uh, yeah that was uh Yeah, that was that's that was an intense one. Yeah. That's that's scary. <laughs> yeah. That was that was yeah, something something definitely uh some some wires got crossed in that young. Yeah, man. you know, they, right. I I don't. My initial reaction to that, after thinking about it, is no. I don't think I ever, ever. Um, I can think of of a story that took place in the early two thousands where a where an elderly couple near Menden, I think, was murdered. Right. Uh, randomly murdered by these two. Careful, man. Careful. Don't say the, it. Uh, gr- these- it was a gruesome murder. Yeah. Uh, it was that, bad. Yeah. They caught the two, two, two people that did it, and uh, I know there was a lot of concern because it was very random. They were just driving through, and they just picked them out, and boom. Uh, but I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't think so, Travis. Yeah. I don't, you could, you could argue that that was that early 1980s was probably one of the more terrifying times to live in in Quincy. If you were a young woman living in Quincy, Illinois, in the early 1980s, woo. Right. 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 Yeah. And uh, maybe even a dangerous time to live because, you know, sadly, the the victim in this case that we're talking about was just completely innocent, had nothing yeah. to do with this person. Nothing. Neither one of them did. Right. Nothing. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely crazy, uh, and it's a crazy story. And Rodney, uh, we uh, love having you on to talk about this. We appreciate it. Um, you are our go-to when it comes to definitely these uh, types of stories, and uh, we definitely appreciate you coming on and telling us about this one. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, Ryan. we'll uh, have more coming up on a uh, Wild Quincy after this. <laughs> You can count on Gem City Ford for the best service, selection, and price in the tri-states. You can count on us. Just announced 0.9% financing on the 1998 Ford Taurus and Rangers for up to 48 months, but only for a limited time. Count on all of us at Gem City Ford to make your next vehicle purchase everything you expected. You can count on Well, Travis, we've been talking a lot about uh, jingles this season uh, with our local ads, and this jingle has stuck with me for 20-plus years. How about you? It's fresh in my mind. It, it, it has never strayed far from the back of my brain. <laughs> Jim City Ford. That, uh, of course, you guys remember Jim City Ford from back in the day, but I do have a little background information. Of course, they're located at 5101 Broadway now. Uh, they have been around before they were named something else. Okay. Oh. Did you know this, Travis? I don't think I knew this, no. Steve Nasser Ford Company was the was where it originated as, and then uh, Jim City Ford took over in 1992. And then they moved to their current location in 2000s. They, uh, according to this, the Quincy Area Chamber of Commerce website, they employ about 70 employees and have about 500 vehicles on the lot. So there you go. Have you, Chris, you. have you driven a Ford lately? No, I had driven a Ford 20 years ago. <laughs> Did you? My, my wife had a a really cool Ford. Uh, 
What's the little one? Escort. Right before we oh, had kids yeah. and realized that probably wasn't the best car for kids. So then we did the, the Ford, uh, one of the es- Escapes, I think. But it's okay. since gone another direction, but uh, yeah. it was a good good ride. So, Travis, we, we, we spent a lot of time together uh, growing up right. in, in high school and stuff like that. Do you remember my Ford Ranger? That's right. Purple, wasn't it? It was a purple five-speed four ranger i forgot about the ranger until you yeah. brought it up then the purple the purple passionate ranger popped right, right in my mind it had those little plastic things that went on they the outside metal. of the window they oh they did but we also had we also had chrome like bars yeah, yeah, in yeah, the yeah, back yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was so thinking was, of the thing where you could kind of crack your window a little roll it down yeah, just a little bit a little cover and the rain yeah. wouldn't get in that was an interesting weird little uh, design thing <sighs> I wonder if it's still around. I have. It was around. I, I had a. My first car was a Geo Prism. Yeah. Four door hatchback, yeah. five speed. Love that thing. We've talked about that. I think. <laughs> Fifteen, uh, probably ten years ago, I saw it. You I saw went, it. Holy cow! It's still running. Wow. <laughs> it's a 1990 or something. On 92. That's like a, yeah. akin to a Sasquatch sighting, Chris. <laughs> right. Or some kind of cryptid beast. <laughs> yeah, that's it's good time. So yeah, but uh, then I switched up to the Ford Ranger. So that was the only Ford I ever had. But there you uh, go. yeah, I I really enjoyed. Left that Ranger, an impression. So. That's right. Hey, uh, Travis, uh, speaking, I mean, I'm, you're all about giving me segues and speaking of impressions. I'm throwing steak, man. Come on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> speaking of steak, let's bring out the golden pipes. And now it's time for Words of Wisdom from Adams County. All right, Travis, are we ready for the wit and wisdom of our forefathers and foremothers? I'm always ready for this. We need to get a shirt. You're right. I feel like they're, this is shirt worthy. We gotta like, get our shirt guy. I, on I wondered about saying like something like, uh, "I look towards the wisdom of my forefathers and foremothers," or you know, "I listen to my foremothers," <laughs> or foremothers. It's a word. Um, <laughs> I'm throwing throwing things out for you here, buddy. We'll R and D it. It'll be good. We'll shop it around, test market. Sam Mittendorf is the person giving us the selection for this week's. Okay, okay thank you, Sam. We're getting into the springtime. Soon baseball season's coming up. So we're going to go with a baseball one. This is $86.99. And it goes like this. If a baseball pitcher spits on the ball before he throws it, you could never hit it solid because the ball will slip off your bat. That's why they call it a hoodoo ball. Hoodoo. It keeps the batter from hitting it. Words of wisdom from Adams County. (laughs) How did you know? Did you know that? Uh. I've heard of a spitball before, but, but or like maybe it's not called a spitball, but in the pitching, it is. Is it it's called, called a spitball? A spitball. Okay. Yeah, that's. A, I think it's illegal, right? You can't do that. It is. Yeah, yeah. But they call it a hoodoo ball. I've never heard it called that. Yeah, hoodoo. So there you go, hoodoo. Because I guess because it does weird stuff, right? Maybe I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Okay. Well, thanks, Sam. So then you got your you got your uh, question, or uh, you know, got that? We figured it out. We did it. Congratulations. We did it. It's all figured out. Okay. Now if we can and figure now, out what happened to those missing pages from Hyatt's book. Yeah, um, right. I'm still wondering about that. Exactly. Uh, so why don't we get to the last piece of the puzzle? And that'd be the question of the day. You've been thinking about this one, Travis? Yeah, you got some really specific ones. I mean, my confidence level has dwindled. Oh, no. Okay. Well, let's let's recap it for everybody so they can have another shot at this. The question was this. Illinois is home to many supposed cryptozoological creatures. Out of the ones listed, which one is made up and doesn't belong in the history of Illinois? Is it the Enfield or Einfield horror, as Travis referred to it as? The Abominable Swamp Slob? The Wolfman of Chestnut Mountain? Or the Hump-Shouldered Ape Man? Travis... <laughs> I told you this was a unique one. What do you think? Well, I know the Einfeld, Einfeld that that's, I believe, God, is that, now you got me questioning if that's Iowa or <laughs> Illinois. Okay. I think it's Illinois. Okay. Um, in that, uh, yeah, that was wild. Um, so I know that was a thing. <laughs> Wolfman, yeah. there's sightings, that's a cryptid from up north in Illinois, around the Freeport area, right okay. by Wisconsin. But it's also big in Wisconsin, so I'm thinking it's the last two. One of the last two. Recap, what are the last two options? Okay, so the last two would be the Wolfman of Chestnut Mountain or the Hump-Shouldered Ape Man. Oh, the Wolfman. The other one you haven't talked about is the Abominable Swamp Slob. Okay, see, I think he's down. I think he's in southern Illinois. Okay. Um, 
the last one, what's the ape man guy? What's his deal? The hump shouldered ape man. I'm going with hump shouldered ape man. Final answer? Yep. That would be correct. Yes. Nice. I had yes. a lot on the line there for personal cred for cryptozoological <laughs> beings. I consider myself <laughs> a enjoyer of all the weird stuff. So that that's big for me. Yeah. So, uh, however, it's not made up. Okay. It is a n- real uh, cryptozoological creature, but it was not in Illinois. It was spotted in 1999 in Festus, Missouri. Okay, not not too far from okay. St. Louis, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was in 99. Just to give you a little bit of a recap, the infield, Einfield horror was Mount Vernon in the 1940s. The abominable swamp slob came to you in 1973 down in the south in Carbondale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Wolfman of Chestnut Mountain was actually a more recent sighting in 2010 in Galena, Illinois. And then, as we mentioned, the correct answer, the hump shoulder ape man and Festus. So look it up. A Chicago Tribune did this thing back a few years ago about the beast of Illinois. So you can check that out on their uh, website that they, they listed a bunch of them. So now there you go. we this is an interesting path you're on here. Cryptozoological beings. Where yeah. could this be going, Chris? Hmm, I don't know. Going to talk about uh, about uh, some wolf man. Oh, I think we're going to go more on the ape variety. Ooh, okay. What we got going on? Next week, we're going to dive into... We're not going to convince you that Bigfoot is real. No one can do that, Chris. That's a thing. It's like ghosts. It's like aliens. You need to have a personal (laughs) encounter. What we're going to do is we're going to look into the possibility of some North American primate running around in the woods, not just in Portland, not just in, you know, California, but maybe in our own backyard. We're going to have Dr. Michael Lorenzen of WIU. He's collecting stories around the region, including counties such as Adams, and we're going to look into the possibility of Bigfoot in our area. It should be some good stuff, man. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Before we wrap this episode up, are we missing anything? You know, we just want to thank everybody, thank the listeners, and give us a shout. We appreciate you listening. Thanks to Rodney Hart, too, for uh, coming on this episode and talking to us about The Mummy Man. We always appreciate having Rodney on and look forward to having him uh, again soon. But for Travis Hoffman, I'm Chris Ketters, and you've been listening to Wild Quincy. We'll catch you guys next time. Take care, everybody. Wild Quincy is released every other Tuesday and is produced by Chris Ketters and Travis Hoffman. Sound designed by Downdraft Sound and Editing and music by Travis Hoffman Music. I'm Bo Beecraft. And thanks for listening to Wild Quincy. Wild Quincy.